In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the wind is at your back. We are back with our incredible series with the one and only Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester. I'm trying to fix my pronunciation here. She is the Madrina and president of the Sioux de Montreal, a Santo Daime Ayahuasca church she founded in 1997 in Montreal, Canada. She's a transpersonal counselor. She trained in the work of Dr. Roberto Asagioli and trained with Dr. Stanislav Graf. She worked with Health Canada from 2000 until 2017 to achieve a Section 56 exemption to import and serve the Santo Daime Sacrament. She's an ordained interfaith minister with a doctorate in divinity. From 1986 to 2018, she has been a workshop leader, teacher, and in private practice. She is the author of Ayahuasca Awakening, a Guide to Self-Discovery, Self-Mastery, and Self-Care, Volume 1 and 2. She continues to lecture on consciousness, non-ordinary states of consciousness, self-discovery, spiritual development, health and well-being, and personal transformation. It is her mission to inspire and empower those who seek the adventure of self-discovery, those who hope to awaken consciousness, to rediscover authenticity, to find meaning in everyday life, and cultivate deep connections with oneself with others, and with nature. Reverend Dr. Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. Would you be so kind as to maybe give us a little recap? A little recap. Okay, so um, it's been a joy, uh, always, uh, being a guest on your, on your wonderful show. Thank you. And you're a great host, and it's always fun to be with you. Um, and we have been on a journey. And the journey's just simply been an unfolding one as we've been following kind of the um, themes that I wrote about, uh, I took when I published these books, it was the kind of culmination of, of my life's journey. And with what I learned that I felt was really pertinent in the work that I was doing that I wanted to share with everybody who's interested. 
And so we've been working our way through the stories and the principles, and um, we, we've made our way into now what I call the circle of wholeness. And <clears throat> what I can do is I can hold it up. You can tell me when you can see it well. Right there, perfect. Right there, perfect? Yes. Circle of wholeness. Okay, and this is a little kind of teaching tool that I developed decades and decades ago. I can't even remember when. It's just, you know, spirit shows me things and I kind of sketch them out and, and I would share them with clients and with students. And, and uh, for years I taught a class called Nourishing Wisdom. And it, it was all about our relationship with ourselves, our, our bodies, our physical body, and, and how that mirrored our relationship with everything in the rest of the, our world. And if we aren't in right relationship with ourselves and our bodies, then we can't be in right relationship with nature, with community, with other people. It just doesn't work. And so this little diagram was, has always been really helpful for people to understand, oh, all of these things play a role in my life and how am I doing? You know, are some of them not happening at all or is there too much in one area of my life? How do I bring it back into balance? And so in our last session together, we started talking about our relationship with nature and how important that is and how we are nature. You know, we have this illusion in, in modern culture that we are, there's us and then there's nature. Okay, <laughs> and that they're somehow separate. <laughs> this is, this is, you know, and, and however this got into our thinking processes, that we are separate from nature, it has done a lot of damage. Okay, it simply has, you know, and us being told um, by some, mainly the patriarchal religions, that kind of, instead of, instead of learning that we're the guardians of of the earth, in other words, we take care of it the way we would raise children or take care of our animal companions and our garden, that we're kind of in charge of it. And so this completely different attitude happened and emerged. Instead of seeing I'm one with nature and me taking care of nature is essential because nature take care, takes care of me, okay? But the further we disconnect from then we don't realize that we pollute the air. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Every, you know, every lung full of air that we take in is a result of, of what nature's doing and then of what we've added. Um, somebody sent me something the other day that says each year we we breathe in the equivalent of of plastics, micro nano plastics, the size of a credit card. That's pretty scary. Okay. <clears throat> so um, it, it, when we see, so this is the first thing that we need to put into place is, is what we talked about last time is we are one with everything. And when we bring that illusion, what, what Einstein called the illusion of separateness, we're not separate. You, me, the trees, the stars, we're all connected. The the earth, the deserts, the trees, the waters, the rivers, the oceans, everything is connected. Each time we breathe, each time we open our eyes, each time we eat food, each time we drink water, everything is there. Everything is there. So we're going to today look at our environment. Okay. And again, last time we talked about 
the human body and how how totally uh, neglectful or indulgent we've become with our bodies. We were busy indulging it. We were a little snacky. Sugar, 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 sugar. Okay, guzzle, guzzle some soft drinks, pick up a cigarette. You know, we have all these habits that are so are you laughing at me or with me? <laughs> I'm laughing with you. I know, I know, I see it all the time. I mean, I've, I've done it. We've all done it. Yeah, everybody's everybody's been unconscious, and then there comes a moment where we have to wake up, wake up, you know. Yeah. And so we've we've been doing things to our bodies because even never mind the separateness that we feel, this illusion that we are separate from nature, we have developed as a large part of our cultural kind of way of being the fact that our mind is separate from our body. And it's in charge. Well, you know, that leads down the same path as we're separate to nature. You know, our mind is not separate from our body. It's, it's not like a glass filled with apple juice. Okay, there's the glass and there's the apple juice. We can't see that because our energy body permeates every cell of our body. And so if we see our mind, as being who we are, and if we see that our body is just something that accommodates our mind, you know, instead of seeing that we have this wholeness, this complete wholeness. Okay, so let's look at the elements of our environment. Well, let's start with the most essential the air we breathe. How many people breathe properly? Not that many. <laughs> you know, there's the panthers and the breath holders. You know, right. and, and breath holding is, and maybe this is infinitely more female than it is male, but the breath holding thing is we learn that when we're really young and we're a little scared, you know, because one thing that happens when you're scared is you're either panting or you're holding your breath. And so whether it's a school experience or a home environment, if we don't feel like safe and rooted there, then guess what? We're not going to be breathing in the way that we need to be breathing. And so if we look at air, what can we do about air pollution? Well, we can do our part. If each of us reduces the things that harm nature, our use of them, is if each one of us does that, you know, I mean, somebody laughed at me that I recycle. Oh, most of it goes in a landfill. And you know what I said? You can guess knowing me at this point. Yeah. I said, that's their karma. Yeah. I will have done my karma by putting my compost in the compost bin putting my recycles all organized in the recycle bin. You know, I'm doing what I can, reducing, being careful. I've always been fussy about fabrics. And so I've always kind of worn um, natural cotton and wool and natural fabrics. And I'm doing what I can do. And, and if others aren't, I'm sorry, but that's on them. When they get their life review, they're going to see <laughs> that's they get their report card right. I'm just responsible for me and so let's not be discouraged by what we see around us let's just keep on focusing if I can do if I can keep you know my front walk clear and if I can you know if I can do what's within my capability to do then at least I can live more in peace because I'm not responsible for you. I'm not responsible for your delightful 
ginger cat that strolled in. I, I'm not responsible for the people on the other side of the planet who are doing things. I'm re responsible in that what I shop, what I buy, okay? How I dispose of what is no longer needed, all of those things. So we're back to how to be in the world. And we're coming back to breathing now. One of the most important things we can do is learn how to breathe properly. If you don't know how to breathe properly, go take a yoga class. <laughs> it's as simple as that. How many did you breathe? Ah, you know, 1971, I, you know, crawled into the ashram. And the first thing they did was they taught me how to breathe. And I was, I have no idea how to breathe properly. You know, I was doing different kinds of yoga, but then had the yoga classes. It was, you know, this slow, deep from the diaphragm breathing. And all of a sudden, I felt my body relaxing. And I had no idea how tense I was just simply because my diaphragm was tight. Because that was a habit. There was nothing scary going on around me. It was just a habit. So breathing. Those of you who don't know how to breathe, go online. Good breathing techniques. It is probably the one thing that's always there wherever we are is breathing. And so it becomes the number one uh, way of relaxing. And the, the small technique that I offer people to start, count slowly to five while you breathe in. Count slowly to five when you breathe out. That it's breathing out, actually, that catches people. They can often get the breathing in. Oh, hey, hey, I'm doing it. And then they go to the business and it's whoosh. Say, <laughs> 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 so, no. The breathing out is so important to find that rhythm of breathing. And so slow, deep, and you work go from five to six to seven. Most people, if you can get up to nine, mm. counting to nine in and out, you're probably asleep at that point. <laughs> so it's one of the best. You can do it anywhere. You can do it at a red light. You can do it in a tense business meeting. You can <clears throat> just take that moment and breathe. And doing what you can to keep your environment clean because it's so essential. Okay, moving on. What's the next next priority after air? Water. <laughs> okay, we need air. We need water. I'm moving, you know, for survival through the key things. We need water, and yet, you know, aren't we blessed? I don't know. I'm sure you've got it. I turned my tap. I have water here in Montreal. We can actually drink that water now, as it stands. I do use a filter. The yep. fridge um, has one that filters. I don't like the chlorine. They have to add it. So um, it filters out anything else that, that may have wandered in to our drinking system. But technically, you can drink Montreal water so and, and live on it, you know, quite fine. Um, so, so water, how do we, you know, there's this fashion of we have to drink so many liters of water a day. And, and like anything else, each person must find a healthy balance of how much water they need. It depends on your body. It depends on your own biorhythms. It depends on the temperature, you know, if it's really hot, if you're exercising. So each person needs to just simply pay attention. What I can say is that most people walk around dehydrated. Yep. They, they just do, and they're not even aware that they're dehydrated. Um, good habit to have is when you get up in the morning is, is you know, some people like to have a hot drink. Other people, room, I'm a room temperature person, and other people like it, like clinking with ice. That's all fine. No problem there. Start with liquid. 
when you get up in the morning, because you haven't had anything to drink for, what, seven, eight hours, maybe more, maybe 10. And so the first thing your body needs, apart from air, is water, not food. Even if you're hungry, put the water in first. And so whether it's a cup of hot water, like forget the coffee stuff, it's dehydrating. Unless it's a specific kind of herbal tea that you know is really nourishing for you, try just plain water. Whether it's hot, room temperature, with ice in it. Start your day with water. And then remember, I'm the kind of person that I, I perpetually, you'll see me sip. I have a glass of water here. And, and I can't like, look, 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 look. I watch people who look, 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 look. It's okay if you just like did 10 kilometers or something. That, you know, sitting around or in meetings or something, then have your water right there and sip at it. Because your body's going to feel better, your whole outlook is going to work. And, and if we're taking care of the water the way we can take care of water, so it's for our body, it's essential. But how do we take care of the waters around the world? How do we do that? Well, we can reduce. If you're wearing fast fashion, that's a bad habit. Please stop. One of the greatest pollutants, other than plastics is fast fashion if you look at landfills and this is just straight out of national geographic i'm sorry maybe the remote that's what's filling landfills apart from the damage the plastic's doing and the regular garbage that we dump out there's how many tons have forgotten the fast fashion cheap clothing that people buy and discard after a couple of wears because it's not made with quality and so it's better to have five articles in your closet that you can wear for 10 years made out of natural products that when you lie it down on the earth, the earth goes, oh, that's cotton. I know what to do with that. You know, that's wool. I know what to do with that. Then, you know, have a closet full of, of manufactured clothes that we need from um, microfibers and recycled plastic. It's just right. more plastic. Okay. And, and all of these different artificial fibers that when you lie it down on the earth, the earth goes, oh, please, not more of that stuff. I'm having such a trouble trying to break it down. Or it's going to take me a thousand years to break that one down, you know. And so the brilliance of the human mind being able, the technology, to dream up all of these things, unfortunately, has wandered astray. And the only, it's like we have one vote. And we have one voice, and we, each lifetime we get one lifetime with one body, right? <clears throat> That's how it is for yeah. all of us. And so we have choices. And so if we look at air and water, the best way that we can contribute <clears throat> to nature being in balance and being well is if we just each, every, every seven billion of us, if we made each one of us as small changes, then it's going to help. It's going to help. That's the only thing we have control over and who we vote for, right? Yeah. So how do we use water? Water historically is also used in cleansing. You think of water baptism, okay? You know, there's many, there's many traditions that use water for baptism. There's water is an essential part in, in some, not just for birth, but also for death. If we think of Hinduism, they, they put the bodies into the Ganges, you know? Well, that because there's too many people on the planet, that became a bit of a problem. Um, and so, you know, things have to be adjusted. 
But the bottom line is water is itself cleanses us. It's what we wash ourselves inside with the water and outside with the water. So how do we give thanks to water? I had the great privilege uh, many years ago of meeting um, Chief Charlie Commando, and um, he was keeper of the waters. And I had a dear Indigenous friend of mine took me to um, a day uh, where he was doing blessing of the water, waters and speaking about the waters and the importance of cleaning the waters. And so to anybody who can, who can listen and can do something, consider how you can support cleaning the waters in your area. Did the cat get into your waste paper basket? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's making himself known. <laughs> That's all fine. That's just fun. It's all, all good. So what can we do to help? You know, can we rewild our rivers? Can we mm. make sure we help? Can we support in some way just in our locality, just here where we are? Do you know that when they, they the Thames River, um, I have lots of family in England. I was born there. The Thames is a very well-known river. Runs, London sits on the Thames. Okay, the Thames became so polluted that there was no wildlife in the Thames and nothing could live in it, okay? And they decided many years ago, it's decades now, decades and decades, maybe 40, 50 years ago, they decided to clean it up. So they had a big cleanup program. Guess what? All the wildlife returned. All the wildlife returned. And that's what will happen. They've done experiments where they make a very small pond, just a very small pond nature. It's made correctly so that it, Fresh water comes in and it has some drainage and what have you. And they watched it over the course of one summer. They recorded, you know, and the first thing that came was there was tadpole, there was frogs, and then there was crickets, and there was grasshoppers, and then there was birds, because it was finally something to eat. And the because the birds were coming, then the other critters were coming, and there's water to drink. And this little small pond, I mean, not the pond was about the size of my your, your office there. Mm. Okay became an entire environment within itself where wildlife had water and then a food source. And so we're capable, it doesn't have to be some, we don't have to look in horror and see this enormous continent of plastic floating in the Pacific Ocean and think, oh, why bother, <laughs> you know? It's like, no, please do something small and local. So that's air, that's water. What's the next thing? Food. No, we're not there yet. Light. <laughs> mm. Light. We yeah. couldn't live. If it wasn't for the sun, there'd be no earth, there'd be no nature, there'd be no creatures, there'd be no right. humans. So light. And we need, like water and air, the more natural the light is. Okay, but within reason, okay, as humans, we need to be careful um, of, of how much direct sun we get. But we still, we need light. Otherwise, we can't thrive. We can't live without life. We can't. There's there's nothing. Okay? So air, water, and light. And how important is light? That it's not just daylight. You know, I encourage everybody, go out every day. Go outside. I mean, I can't go through a day without going outside. Preferably at least twice. You know? And I'm talking about winter here in Montreal. So unless it's absolutely freezing rain, Okay, and you know what freezing rain is, or you don't have that in Hawaii. Yeah, we don't have That's that. Where everything turns to ice. Mm. Okay, I have boots that have spikes on the bottom of them. I will even go out if it's been freezing rain. 
just go outside and look at the sky and the sun and go out in the evening and look at the stars and the moon and remember that you are one with the cosmos. We go outside, we have the light of the stars at night, we have the light of the moon. In the day, we have the light of the sun, even if it's hidden. And we need this, it nourishes us. We can't sit in little closed boxes with artificial light all day, day after day, and be well. We can't do that. Now, some a lot of people have jobs where they have to sit in a box all day. And then what can you do? You can get full spectrum lighting. So this is all about how to be well, how to be one with nature, how to remember the oneness that we share, not just on a spiritual level with everything, on an energetic level with everything, but on a physical level with everything. And so if you can't get outside every day for at least like 20 minutes, half an hour, then, you know, look into full spectrum lighting. People become depressed if they don't have the right lighting. There's even the seasonal affect disorder, which is a form of depression, which a lot of people will get in northern uh, countries that, where we have much less light uh, for six months. And so we have to know how to have a well, healthy life. Otherwise, we all move south and we move onto your island. <laughs> so light. Now, what's fascinating is what goes with light? Electromagnetic energy. Mm. Okay. So now there's a big lot of hoo-ha around electromagnetic energy and, and, and uh, you know, how much of it is really accurate and truthful and how much of it is sensation is for each person to walk wisely through that. We're not going to stop it. Electricity has been part of our reality um, uh, and all of these waves of microwaves and, you know, every way that we use the electromagnetic energy that exists on the earth, every way that we, we cruise on those waves and we learn to work on them and, and ride on them with our communications and our transmissions and everything, that's not going to stop. But how do we live wisely and in a healthy way with it? Well, I think the most important thing might be what's called Schumann's resonance. Do you know what that is? Um, I'm not familiar. I've heard it before, but I don't. I couldn't tell you what it, what it is. That's a, about eight cycles per second. It's the heartbeat of the Earth. Mm. It's the heartbeat. It's the scale of the electromagnetic forces of the Earth. And we are so used to it, we don't feel it, we don't think about it, but we need it. Okay, It is part of the whole way that we are in relationship with the Earth. It's part of the electromagnetic field and the gravity and everything that, that ties us. When astronauts go out to the, the space station or go out in space off to the moon or something, what happens to them? Because they are disconnected from the Earth. Yes, they're getting air, they're getting water, and they're getting light. But what are they missing and how fast are those changes in the body? Because that's what they're missing. They're not missing um, human design transmissions because they've got plenty of that up there. Okay, They've got all of those radio frequencies and everything that they're working with. What they're missing is the heartbeat of the earth. And so how do we make sure that we try to get onto the earth? You know, we talk about 
grounding. And um, one of the most important ways to, to get grounded is to go and walk on the earth. Now, that's a bit tricky in winter in Montreal. <laughs> you know, like they're brave to go off their winter boots and wool socks, and because you know, it's all snow and ice and everything else, you can't even get down on the ground, you know? But at least if you're outside and you are walking, and you know, snow and ice is still part of Mother Nature, is how I tend to look at it. And so you just keep your boots on until the spring comes. Now, what does the earth do? And, and we are, you know, we don't understand how deeply affected we are by these things. These electromagnetic things that are working, uh, you know, within the Earth. Now, how does the Earth reset its atmosphere? You know, I don't know. Lightning storms, mm. twenty thousand approximately per day, circling the Earth. For anyone interested, just look at the NASA footage from the space station when they're whipping around, whatever ninety-eight minutes or something, something like that. Um, and you can see all the storms and the lightning just moving around. And they say there's like 20,000 a day and hundreds of thousands of lightning strikes. Okay. And what this is doing is it's resetting the entire atmosphere. Don't get cranky if a thunderstorm comes along, it's essential. Yeah. And do you know how the air feels after a storm's moved through? Have you noticed how clean and wonderful the air feels? And so that's what Mother Nature is doing, is she's resetting the atmosphere. And we are influenced by this. And so welcome it and respect it and enjoy it. Now, how do we how do we keep in relationship and understanding all of these things? Indigenous peoples would teach us that we need to just honor it and accept it and understand that this is what we're connected to. And that, you know, Father Storm and Mother Lightning and that these are all an important part of, of being alive and instead of disconnecting ourselves from it. Okay, what's next on the list? Color. Mm. A really important, a really important aspect of the wavelengths of electromagnetic energy with light. Okay. But remember that light is just energy, right? So so we have this color spectrum now here's what's really fascinating do you find this fascinating i, mean, I find it yeah, also absolutely is, you have to remember i think it was the last time we talked about how our body is a filtering system our body filters down what we into a range a spectrum of what we see what we hear what we sense because we would become overwhelmed if we could hear and see and smell and sense everything it's there's so much incoming stimuli you know elephants can smell water what is it 14 miles away well thank goodness we oh. can can you imagine we'd be smelling everybody's sink and toilet for yeah 14 miles. <laughs> i mean like seriously right okay so i mean and you know what a hawk can see and what a dog can smell and the sense and hear and all these creatures and and, and they each have their own body, which filters out everything that isn't essential for their survival. So here we are, humans. We have a range in which we can see. And we are so egocentric and species-centric that we think that what we see and smell and hear is all that there is. Okay, unless we happen to have the good fortune to work in a field like biology or you know, something like that, where we understand that creatures 
all the creatures have their own spectrums of what they see and smell and hear and that we have this body that is like a, a limiting you know it's designed to limit but that doesn't mean that it doesn't affect us yeah you know when they slowed down you know they always wondered what birds were singing about they thought it was just claiming territory or looking for a mate or breathing the sunshine and maybe they're doing that too i'm not going to profess to be able to understand what birds are singing okay Although I have a great, interesting story about that, if you're if you're interested, yeah, of course, absolutely. Let's hear it. So it's a very, it's a very those those who know me and know the, the sacred plants that I work with might understand this, and and so it's um, I, I receive hymns in our tradition. I have my first hymn book has sixty hymns in it, and we in the Santagani we receive hymns. We don't write them. There's a big difference. Okay, we're not creating them. We're not Elton John. Okay, <laughs> down and plunking out and figuring out words and you know the creative process there might be some similarities in the creative process but in, in the Danny we receive hymns and for someone who doesn't speak Portuguese to receive Portuguese hymns is a bit off the chart okay in the beginning so I have I have three hymn books and the first one has 16 the second one has I think 17 and the new one has I think about 13 anyway I, I'm I'm down in the United States. I'm traveling the Comitiva, okay. And I had forgotten to bring my little recording. I had a little, I had a little recorder. Now I have my phone, but this is uh, you know about 15, 20 years ago. So I would use a little handheld recorder. I'd travel with it because I would record teachings that I would receive from an elder. I would record whatever, uh, and and I receive hymns. And you never know when you're going to receive them in the shower, walking along the street, driving your car. You don't know. All of a sudden, astral opens, plunk, and it starts coming. So um, I received this hymn, and I didn't have my little recorder. I was convinced. I got sang it over and over, and I wrote the words. I was convinced I was going to remember it. I got up the next morning. I had absolutely no memory of the tune, the melody, zero. I was crushed. I kept reading the words, hoping that it would come back to me and apologizing to the astral. But <clears throat> I went just outside and I thought, okay, I'll just go out and be in nature and I'll sit in this little courtyard where we were staying and the little fountain and the birds were coming to splash. And so I sat there and I was just meditating and, you know, talking to the astral and saying, please, can you resend me the melody? I'm really sorry I didn't record it. Okay. And this blackbird comes and it lands right about two feet, right in front of me, about two feet away, and it sings the melody to me. I know, strange. Really yeah. And, and I, thank you, thank you. And then I realized that I could call home and sing it into my answering service, which is what I did. Okay. So at least, phew, it's recorded now. Another strange bird story. I think might be in one of my books. Um, I was having a particular challenge, and I really wasn't sure if how I was managing it was gonna, you know, just it was one of those sticky moments where you think if I do it this way or if I do it that way, or how about if I just try and avoid it all, <laughs> you know, deny, 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 avoid it, and maybe it'll all go away, you know, that one. Okay, and I happened to have gone downtown to pick up some items to do some shopping. So I was downtown walking on our main strip, St. Catherine Street, which is very well known through all the years for shopping and restaurants and things like that. Walking along St. Catherine Street, like muttering in myself with this problem. And 
And I hear all of a sudden, there's no this downtown, there's a traffic. Okay, all of a sudden, I realize there's a small, you know, the small trees they put in concrete that have probably one third the life of trees that are in their natural environment. Well, the poor things are surrounded with concrete. They have no one else to talk to. Their roots can't communicate with others. And they have all these, this traffic going past, polluting. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, there's a bird. And it is singing its little heart out, okay? And I'm entranced by it. And I, I stop and I, I listen. And I realize the bird's giving me a message. And so I, I'm, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, what's the bird telling me? And it's singing away. And I look down and it's written in chalk on the sidewalk is this is a test <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh okay yeah. this is a test now how i frame the situation is vastly different now i realize it's a test so i happened to share the receiving the melody because i was traveling with a brazilian comitiva of, of elders and so I happened to share the story later that day or the next day um, with one of the elders who promptly laughed and says, yeah, most of my hymns came from birds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he sang the velvet of Tuve. And so you have to stop and think, okay, now we wander, we're going to come back into color. So how does color affect us? You know, we're talking about the filtering thing and what birds see and what people see and everything. How does color affect us? Well, it affects us. It's not just we like the color, you know. We can say, well, I like blue or I like green or, you know, I feel good when I'm wearing this color. That's all great. That's fine. Don't change that. You know, be more in tune with what you feel well, what sort of brings out an authentic me when I'm wearing this and these colors and how I'm feeling. Um, I'm not alone with getting up in the morning thinking I'm putting on that outfit only to find out it's like my body won't put it on. <laughs> Seriously, my body won't put it on. I don't know if you get up and think, oh, I'm going to wear that nice shirt, and your body says, no, 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 you're wearing that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and do we ever stop and wonder? Is it, and we think, that, oh, it's because I like that. No, it isn't. It's because somehow your body needs that color on today. When we understand that the colors are simply a reflection of light, of mm. what light is being absorbed and what light is being reflected. And one last note. So choose your colors carefully. Choose colors that your heart and your body feel good in, that enhance your environment, that that bring pleasure and joy and peace. Okay. Now colors affect our mood. There's quite a bit of research done on this. <clears throat> one of the most interesting ones is Baker Palmer Pink. Hmm. <clears throat> this is a long time ago this research was done. It was done in one of the largest of California's uh, institutes in a holding center uh, for criminals, um, people who have been charged with crimes. They were in a holding center waiting for the judgment to, under, to be placed wherever they're sentenced. And what they found out is they were starting to work. So this was, we're looking at the late 70s, early 80s, when all of this research was being done. And I was fascinated with it. And um, what they found was by painting different colors, they could affect the moods of the people. 
And there was this particular pink that was called Baker Palmer pink, okay, after the people who were doing the research, that actually had the ability to calm the people down in these holding centers. Now, I, I would have thought like pink, I wouldn't think it would be the color that would calm me down if I had always think of blue or green, or, you know, something like take me to the ocean, okay? But it's because of the research that they understood that there are, are actually colors, colors affect us in ways that can affect our moods and that how we manage our situations when we're put in situations where everything in our environment, if it's supportive, so people who aren't well, people who are coming from surgery or an illness or all of this study of light and, and, and color and air and, and water, all of it becomes essential as to how to restore health, how to maintain health. Do you have any questions on that about color? Any stories you want to share? It's it's fascinating to me to think about your body needing that color. I never thought about it as as a reflection of light, but it, it's fascinating. I and I have done that. Like there's been t plenty of times where I was like, I'm gonna wear this shirt today, and I was like, and I'll put it on. I'm like, it doesn't feel right. I'm gonna go with this one over here. But I've never taken time to think that maybe my body is speaking to yeah. me. Yeah, that it's our body will if we pay attention to our body, it will tell us when we need water, when we need sleep, when we you know, when we need to eat, I mean, we think, okay, yeah, of course it's going to tell us those things, but why aren't we paying attention? Yeah. It's going to tell us how we want our environment. It tells us what we're comfortable with and what we need to let go of or say goodbye to. And there's some combination there of our body and our soul and our unconscious and our conscious and our spirit and our mind. And again, we're back to they're all connected and they're all one and you can't separate them. So is the body reflecting something that the soul feels? Is the soul reflecting something mm -hmm. that the body's experiencing? It's all fascinating. Okay, what's yeah. the next? What's the next thing in environment? Now we're to food. No sound. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you hungry, George? You no, I, think I am. Yes. Okay. You keep saying food, nutrition. <laughs> My body's talking okay. to me. Yeah, you need to eat. Okay. So it's actually sound. Okay. And so to kick off talking about sound, one of my favorite, it's so old, this research, but they wanted to research how does sound affect us? So what they did was they took plants and they had three separate, isolated from each other and from any other environmental cues. They put the exact same kind of plants. It was a variety of plants in the same identical pots, identical plants in these three different uh, kind of chambers. And they had the exact same watering schedule, the exact same nutrient schedule, the exact same light. The only thing that was different was sound. So in chamber one, they had some classical music playing. Not the 1812 overture, but you know, they, probably Mozart. Right? <clears throat> chamber number two, they had some light, easygoing, you know, just light, easygoing stuff that you might find as background music in an elevator, an office, a store, you know. In the third 
con um, you know, a container, what they had was um, hard rock music. Guess what happened with the plants? So chamber one, the plants actually grew towards the speakers. Mm. They liked it. They grew towards the speakers. Plant in container number two, healthy plants, perfectly fine. You know, cruising along with the groove music, no problem at all. Chamber number three, the plants grew away from the speakers, as far away as they could get. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So what we are exposed to, the sound. Now, we have a lot of what's called, the same way we have light pollution with all our cities and lights and everything that's confusing to our bodies and wildlife. And certainly for those poor hatching turtles that are waiting for the rising sun and head for the streetlights. Okay? But it's the same with sound. We have in the background, we have, we, we can't hear Mother Earth rumbling away and, and grinding her te tectonic plates, okay? But that's what she's doing. We can't hear any of that. We can't hear a lot of what's happening around us, but it doesn't mean it's not happening around us. Some of it we're used to. We're used to traffic and noise and honking and ambulances and sirens and, and all of that jazz. And we're used to it and we're able to kind of dial it out. But what kind of an effect does it have on us? For most of us, we try and make our environment peaceful and as calm as we can. Some people live in environments where they have to work with noise, construction sites and things like that. And you'll see they wear these big headphones because they've learned that they will damage their hearing and it'll not just physically damaging the hearing, it's affecting the whole body. So if, if plants, but often I think plants are smarter than humans, okay, they know what to grow towards, the light and healthy things. And humans keep stampeding into unhealthy situations, right? So sound plays a really important role. They know now that they, they play Mozart and soft classical and light music to animals and barns. The cows are happier, they give more milk. Creatures are happier. So light, color, sound, all of it is influencing our health and our well-being, our, our wellness that allows our spirituality to shine within us because our body's well and our mind is is balanced. You know, if we have a saying, Mr. Reneo, the founder of the Santo Daini, his instructions on how to go to, we call them works, rituals, our rituals, is with a healthy mind full of hope. Mm. So you go to the work with a healthy mind full of hope. And that's a beautiful phrase to remember on a daily basis. You go to work with a healthy mind full of hope. You get up in the morning with a healthy mind full of hope. Right? So let's have a healthy mind full of hope about how we can organize our environment so that it, it fulfills and works. So if we think about sound, if we look at Hinduism and some other traditions, they say in the beginning was sound. You'll even find that in the patriarchal religions of Judaism and Christianity. What, what does Genesis open with? And the God spoke and the word. And God spoke and said, yeah. let there be money. So yeah. we, we see that sound is connected with our origin stories, 
our creation stories and our origin stories all connect with sound. So in Hinduism, it's Om, right? Mm. The greatest of all the mantras. And so if we think about sound, we think, okay, we're talking. We have voices. How do we use our voice to bring health to and, and wellness to our life? Well, chant, sing. You know, I think if you take a depressed person or a person who's struggling with, with depression and you change their diet and you give them some fresh air and a healthier environment and you put them in a choir, it doesn't have to be a fancy choir that's going to do performances, a group of people who sing, okay? You're going to find their depression, and it may not completely disappear because there may be many things at play here. You're going to find that you don't want to exercise. I mean, exercises, exercise, nutrition, sleep, these are the pillars. All the research is there for depression, right? And chanting and singing is at the core, sharing sound with each other, singing together. Um, the research on this is huge. And how wellness increases when we chant and sing and when we do it with others who are like-minded, that it empowers us, it opens us, it, it fills us with something, it connects us with something that enhances our everyday life. Is there something you want to say about that? About it, just, it just makes me think of the word harmony. Like when we're together with other people and we are, you know, embracing and sharing language or the right language or song. Like it just reminds me of how beautiful harmony is and how that makes me feel. Yeah. I mean, people sing, they sing in the shower, yeah. they sing in their car, they turn on the radio or their music or their iPod or something and they sing along with it. This is all really healthy, you know. It's fun. It's it brings union, and you know you might see people over dinner, and all of a sudden somebody starts singing a funny song or something, and a couple of people join in, and you know, have you ever been in a restaurant? Somebody starts singing Happy Birthday. Yeah. Just the whole restaurant starts singing Happy Birthday. You know, it's just um, there's something that unites us when we chant and sing together, and there's something that empowers us. You know. There's something that really empowers us. And so it's how to, how to, you know, hold that in a way that is empowering and healing and bringing wholeness. Now, what's on the flip side of sound? <laughs> You've asked me the questions. I'm tricking you up. I'm sorry. <laughs> silence. Silence. Mm. We all need silence. Unfortunately, too many people fill every waking moment with the phone iPad or so the gift of technology is also the curse of technology right yeah. people get addicted to their phone and to social media and to video games and all these things that they play on their phones that I don't even understand I never played one <laughs> you know, I played board games with my granddaughters and card games the old-fashioned stuff <clears throat> but it's so easy to go down that tunnel where there's never any silence. What do we do with silence? We fill it. We cram it full of stuff. And yet, how do we 
if we understand that silence is an essential part of being human, that there's a time to be silent. Yes. Yeah, I, it's, it's when you can, one of my favorite quotes is where are you between two thoughts? Yeah. Well, can I come to your favorite now? <laughs> so happy, friendly food. Yeah, we've worked our way through all the things that a lot of people see this, see these things as separate from them. The ocean's polluted over there. No, <laughs> the ocean and I are one. The ocean and you are one. Okay. So all these things that are essential that are around us, there are they are elements for our basic environment. Everything else, the pictures on our wall, the clothes we wear, everything else is just on top of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, nutrition. Talk to me about nutrition. When you think about it, what do you think about? I think about you are what you eat. And it's interesting that the idea of eating is almost synonymous with consumption and what you, what you bring in, you put out, whether you're consuming media, whether you're consuming food, what you fill yourself up with begins to overflow out you and it leads to different kinds of reactions, different kinds of relationships and different kinds of attitudes. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Um, so it, it when when you think about nutrition, it's not just food. Okay, <laughs> you're thinking about how else do we fill ourselves up? Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, the, the interesting thing about about nutrition is, you know, is it you <laughs> scrape it all down and it's just an essential survival need. We need to eat to live. And if we look at the history of the human species, we see that we're opportunists. We are opportunists. We are no different from a crow or a coyote. Okay. We're no different. Opportunists. Ah, there's something to eat. I'll go after it. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's something somebody else caught. I think I'll fight them for it. You know, I'll squabble over it and I'm a bit bigger and a bit feistier, so maybe I'll get it. And so, you know, food is survival. Everything eats to live. If we don't eat, we don't live. Now, if we don't breathe, we don't live. And if we don't have water, and that's the order of importance, we can do without food longer than we can do without water. We can do without water longer than we can do without air. Air is essential. Hold us off for about five minutes, no air. It's not going to go very well, right? So, of course, we can go much longer than five minutes without water. Much longer than five minutes without food, okay, probably 40 days without food, and then it's like, uh-oh, serious uh-oh time, right? But food is essential for life, and if we look at the history of the human species, okay, we're opportunists, we will eat what the season tells us, so let's peel off the last few hundred years and, and processing and refining, let's peel all that off for a moment and talk about the last 100,000 years. Okay, prior to modern uh, refineries and food processing. Let's just put that on one side. And we look at the human experience on the planet. We'll see that we ate what's available and that we would follow where the food is. So if, there's, if we know the 
fish are returning in that river because we paid attention. The elders have taught us because they watched. This is when the birds return and this is when the fish return. Okay, and this is when the trees give their nuts or their seeds or their fruit. Okay, and so the human species watched nature because they knew they had to watch nature to know where the food is and what season is bringing what, what food. You know, the birds know this, the chimpanzees know this. You know, every bird on the planet knows exactly when that tree is going to bear fruit, okay? They're watching and waiting, okay, until it's just perfectly right to eat. And every creature knows when, you know, the movement of whatever it is that they ingest for life. And this is what humans did. We followed the food. We followed the seasons. We ate what the seasons brought us. If it was the season for berries, we ate berries. If it's the season that the birds return, we eat birds. If it's the season that the fish come back up the river to lay their eggs, that's what we're eating. Okay? And so if it's the season for the corn to come, then, you know, once we became moved from hunter-gatherers to an agricultural-based societies, then we started growing things and cultivating them. And so we knew the seasons to plant and how to wait and take care of them and to harvest. And these are all things that are deep, 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 deep in the human story. And then it all got buggered up. Okay. <laughs> because the gift always comes with the curse. They're inseparable. Okay. So modern technology came in. And the next thing we knew is, you know, we had trucks and we had, we had boats and we had trucks and we could bring food from one area to another area. We didn't have to follow it anymore. We didn't have to stay in one spot because that's where the corn or the oats or the wheat or the fruit or the manioc or the, you know, whatever it is, rice, whatever it is that that culture depended on. All of a sudden there was transportation, methods of transportation and trading. So as soon as boats arrived and some kind of wheeled vehicles arrived and boats were first, right? And then very simple wheeled vehicles that donkeys would pull or horses mm -hmm. would pull, what have you. And so all of a sudden food can move around a little bit and get traded. And so, you know, advance that transportation, advance it more, advance it more. And then all of a sudden we go from this kind of transportation. Now I can go to my grocery store across the street and I can get blueberries in the middle of winter and grapes and bananas and they're from mm -hmm. Costa Rica and Peru and South Africa and they're all over the planet. Okay. And that's a gift. Why is it a curse? Thing? Why is it a curse? Thing? Because you forget the essential way in which you grow your own food. You forget and you become lazy in a way. Like you no longer need to pay attention to nature to thoroughly understand where your food comes from. Yes. When you do that, you you begin having a you begin having a lot of a lack of respect for the, the that which you consume. Yes. So we become um, entitled, mm. greedy, entitled. Mm. I deserve blueberries. I, I love blueberries. <laughs> I deserve blueberries in January. Right. Okay. Bananas all year round. Okay. I love bananas and mangoes and all kinds of things. I remember as a child waiting for cherry season. Now that's not that long ago. I, we only had blueberries and cherries in June. 
Okay. That's when we had them. Now, so it wasn't just the seasons and everything and, and then developing transportation that would allow refrigeration and transportation that would allow foods that are delicate to be transported and that meant different packaging. Okay, so the gift is, is we can have all kinds of foods any time of the year. The curse is the agricultural business. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not just us getting entitled and demanding. That, yeah. creates, that creates the need, that creates the market, that creates the industry, that then creates a agricultural industry that becomes so profit-driven that yeah. not only are we now detached from the seasons, and from eating geographically and seasonally, which is what our bodies should be attuned to, okay? And and what we're doing now is we're creating an industry that out to make profit and to meet the demands, we are now ignoring nature. And so we have these enormous agricultural uh, sites that have torn down the forests and the woods and filled in the creeks. And this this kind of um, single product development, yeah. and the use of pesticides and herbicides and everything else to get rid of everything that doesn't that doesn't feed that industry of demand. So whatever it is that humans are demanding that we want, whether it's coconuts or avocados or almonds or whatever it is then the industry goes and strips down everything else. And then what happens? Well, then all the creatures start to die because they don't have what they need. Butterflies can't live on corn stalks. And, and because we're so single fo focused on profit and what humans want, instead of saying, hmm, wait a minute, if we're gonna have a thousand square acres of monoculture, mm -hmm. because it's the monoculture instead of letting the land lie fallow for one year out of seven and rotating the crops and doing things that all the old farming techniques did. Now we pump the earth full of things to make it produce. Okay, we have monoculture. And monoculture is probably one of the single most threat, greatest threats to a lot of our wildlife because they can't find what they need. Most of the, I mean, I haven't seen a cricket or a grasshopper <laughs> in Montreal for decades, decades. They can't, they can't live here. There's nothing for them. Everybody, I mean, the gardens that I've had, I've made as insect friendly as I can, you know, um, the kind of plants that attract bees and butterflies and, and things like that when I had houses with gardens and to try and nurture whatever. I would have put beehives on the roof if I could have got away with it, but never mind. Um, and so you see these. Now, what would happen if people demanded, well, yes, we want all these fill-in-the-blank oats or corn or wheat or soybeans or whatever it is, the mono. But we also want to help nature. So how about if for every acre, there's a, a piece this big that's for nature, where the natural indigenous plants are allowed to thrive. And so the monarch butterflies can fly from that to the next spot, to the next spot, all the way down. And the creatures and the insects and the birds and everything can gather. But that means we have to adjust our profits and our mm -hmm. demands. And we have to re-embrace nature as, as our family. 
but nature and all the creatures are our family. Um, there's a saying in in Canadian Indigenous conversation, a prayer, a simple prayer called All My Relations. And when they say this, this is a prayer, it's a statement, it's an affirmation, it's a belief system. All my relations is everything. The tree is my relationship. The birds are my relationships. They're my family. We're all connected. And if we see that, then what we eat, I mean, we're back to what we wear. Do we choose fabrics and clothing that Mother Earth can recognize? Oh, there's linen, there's cotton, there's silk, there's even fur. People who, yeah. oh, fur is terrible and they'd never wear fur. And they wear all this microfiber plastic stuff. The, the microfibers are so in our air and water and brains at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, we, you know, I have, a, I have a fur coat that was a neighbor's of my mother's. It's got to be at least, uh, if I say, hold on, I am 74. So if I say it's at least 60 years old and it's beautiful and it's preserved, okay, and the day comes where it can't be repurposed in any other way, I could lie that down on the earth and the earth would say, hi, I know what you are. I know how to break you down and deal with you. Okay, and it's one. Okay, I'd like somebody to show me their microfiber coat that they've been wearing for 60 years because I don't think yeah. that exists. Okay, it's kind of wear it and fashions change, toss it out and get the next one. So, nutrition we've taken a long journey around. We started with food source and, and how we're in relationship with nature. And how when we distort that through technology and agriculture industry, and and how do we bring it around back? How do we support local food store? How do we support the sources that are organic, natural, and have good farming practices? Well, guess what? We're the shopper. Buy. Ask. Look where it comes from. Google the company, see if they have best practices, you know. I'm sure you may be fortunate yeah. there, but we're extremely fortunate here in Quebec. We have wonderful farming. We have tons of organic farms. We have lots of, you know, to be labeled organic is, is, mm. is really tight, but we have lots of excellent farms which they're farmed the old-fashioned way, you know. And, um, and, and so if we do that, shop locally, buy locally, support those organizations and industries that are doing their very best to reduce packaging, not use packaging that contains these forever chemicals in them. I mean, there's food packaging that contains forever chemicals in them, yeah. chemicals that it takes the earth thousands of years to break down. You know, like popcorn in a bag that we put in a microwave. The lining of that has plastics in it that go into our body, and as we eat the food, that it's now, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So we haven't even talked about food yet. <laughs> and what would be sensible? Maybe we'll have to leave that to another show. But we, if we don't set the stage, does this make sense what I'm talking about? That we have to look at the much larger picture of how we evolved on the planet as a species in harmony with nature. Now, you know, nature can be dangerous too. There's plants that are poisonous. There's creatures that we cannot eat, okay? And simply because we can't, we don't eat them, we can't eat them because they're, would be injurious, 
I mean, there's lots of foods that we don't eat. We don't eat toads, for example. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Yes. We've got all kinds of things that don't, don't get a word. <laughs> all these poisonous plants and poisonous creatures around. And, and yet we're omnivores and we eat everything. We're opportunists. And so everything evolved into this. And then here we are now. And I think other than the field of psychology, the field of nutrition is probably, if not the leader in dissent and disagreement. If you walk into any bookstore and you look at how many books there are, and I'm not talking about just cookbooks. Cookbooks are great. You want to learn how to cook Asian or vegetarian or you know, Caribbean or something. There's wonderful cookbooks available for all kinds of styles and flavors of cooking. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this book, books that tell you that the only way to is you have to follow this regime or that regime. You have to eat this every day or don't eat that and only eat this and don't eat that. And these regimes, but if you look at where's the science behind that, where's the historical heritage, tradition, wisdom behind it? And usually there's none. Usually there's none. And so some guidelines for eating and choosing your food. We've talked about natural. We've talked about local. Mm -hmm. And if you can, seasonal. Okay, guilty. I eat blueberries and bananas and mangoes year-round. Okay, when I can, when they're there, I'll eat them. <laughs> Sorry, that's my guilty confession here. <laughs> so what are the basics and here in, in, in my books? I, I try and teach these basics. First of all, Look at your ancestors. Look up your ancestral tree. Like, look up yours, George. What's your ancestral tree? Where did your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents come from? Mine came from uh, Northern European descent. Both sides? Yeah, both sides. Okay. Um, what do they eat in Northern Europe? Are we talking uh, like how far north are we talking? Well, my are we, are we talking like like way up? Are we talking like like the Netherlands and Norway? Or are we talking a little further down? Are we talking like the Baltic? Are we talking what are we talking about? Yes, yeah. My on my mom's side, they came from like the Czech the Czech Republic area, Czechoslovakia back in the day, and okay. my father's side was more of a French sort of that particular area going back in, in yeah. that area. So. Okay. So, not a whole that, lot of tropical fruit. No, if that's <laughs> your heritage, then what we have to understand is we're going to be genetically predisposed to digest those foods. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because our digestive enzymes, of which we have thousands, right? right. And everything from once it first goes in our mouth all the way down to our stomach and then through the rest of our digestive system, is designed to break food down into its single components so our body can use them for maintenance and, and construction of muscles and body and cellular construction and for energy. And so the components within a food, our body has to break it down into single components. So you eat an apple, and your body breaks that down into single components. It takes out the vitamins and the minerals and the fiber and the 
and the, you know, everything that's in there and it uses, it goes, oh, good, here's some vitamin C and here's some iron and here's some this. Okay, I need that and I need that and I need that and the rest will flush out, you know. And so that's how our body works. It breaks everything down into single components. It does that with the air that we breathe. Good. And came some oxygen. Let's take that out. And by the way, as we breathe out, we're sending out the CO2 that we don't need anymore. Okay. So when we understand that's what our body is doing, breaking everything down into single components so it can use it. Okay. Because our body isn't a static thing. Every cell is working and moving and changing and transforming and cells are being born and dying as we're speaking you know thousands if not millions of them are reproducing and changing and doing their thing okay so <clears throat> genetically we are predisposed to our heritage what our heritage gives us and so if you had said to me <clears throat> which would have been a stretch oh i'm you know Japanese on this yeah. side and Inuit <laughs> on that side, okay? You know, that's a stretch. But the thing is with, you know, global transportation and with modern technology and everything, you know, the diaspora of people is vastly different. And and this, this melange of genetic tendencies is we just have to just pay attention to it. That's all. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's, it's just paying attention to it, what our heritage is. And so if you look up your tree and you say, okay, well, that's what the people were eating in that area for the last thousands of years, then probably that's what the core of my diet should be. So we take our heritage and we then adjust it for our geography. Um, <laughs> In all the years I was teaching, one of the homework I would, uh, you know, a lesson I would I would give, a homework I would assign, would be that I wanted the class to go and find me a coastal vegetarian culture of longevity. So I want you to answer: Did they find one? No, never. <laughs> they don't exist. Why? Because they eat primarily fish, I would imagine. That's right. Because we're opportunists. And right. we're not going to eat what's right in front of us. <laughs> and so, you know, you have all these food fads right. that come in that we should only eat this way and we should only eat that way and we should only eat this at this time of day and that at that time. No. Hundreds of thousands of years, we didn't eat like that. We eat when we're hungry or we eat when there's food available, whichever comes first. Yeah. Okay. And, and we eat what's around. We eat what's here, what we can catch, what we can gather, what we can plant and harvest. And so we look at our seasons. You know, you live in, in a completely different geographical location from what I live in. And so actually your diet will be somewhat different from my diet, not just only because of our heritage. It's because if we look at what nature gives us, for example, in this area of the world, before modern technology and transportation, what did the indigenous people, because there's people in what we call Canada for maybe 10,000 years at least, when the landmass was connected and they worked their way over at least, let's say 10,000, perhaps longer, 15,000, something like that. What did they eat? They eat what they could hunt and fish and gather and they learned how to dry fish 
learned how to dry, to pick the apples and dry them. So they learned how to preserve things and dry them. And so they could store up. They learned to gather the nuts and the seeds from harvest what they could eat and whether they ground it into a powder and used it in cooking or whatever they did. They gathered all of the natural, um, especially the root vegetables that naturally grow here. Okay, the staple of what grows here and, and the old, wilder, um, uh, you know, grains because we didn't have so much wheat growing here. It would be like a wild rice that was growing here. Mm more indigenously and that's what they would eat you know and they would store and dry what they could and and save for the winter what they could and they'd eat that all winter you know and even if you think of the you know the people of the europeans who came to colonize the americas what did they eat when they came here they eat what they could store so they would pick all the everyone had a root cellar and they would store all of those root vegetables people almost other let's not count french fries for me that's not a vegetable okay that's for me it's right up there with like potato chips it's not a yeah. vegetable anymore it has almost nothing to do with potato right but you know people lived on root vegetables because they would store you could have the sweet potatoes and the potatoes and the turnips and the, all the things that grow on the ground or close to the ground those will, if you keep them cool, they'll go through a long time. And so people lived on this. And so where are we now with, with eating genetically and geographically? And if so, how do we bring that into our everyday life? What does that look like if we just use that as kind of a guideline? What would it look like if we listen to our body, we pay attention to the season and our geography, and we understand a little bit about our genetic heritage. What would your daily diet look like? Like if you just listen to your body, what would your daily diet look like? Probably a lot less. People probably consume a lot less than than the just like fast fashion. You got fast food, and I think if people listen to their body, they they're their diet would be a lot less than what they normally have, you know, especially when you look at the idea of empty calories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So if we were to listen to our bodies, we would eat, eat almost no processed food. Mm, yeah. We would eat almost no chemicalized food. We, If we just listened to our bodies and honored what our bodies really need, we'd be drinking water, not soft drinks. Yeah. We've been drinking water, not coffee. I mean, I'm not that I'm against coffee, but this is something you know that a very small amount goes a very long way. Yeah, you know. But there's a food industry that, that we feed, and it's all profit and industry and business and churning it out and trying to get us the same way cigarette manufacturing, you know, heightened their product to create sure. dependency. I mean, people don't even realize that how, you know, how much sugar was in cigarettes. And I inhaled, know yeah, yeah. Inhaled sugar is they would use sugar to impart, you know, it's one of the additives that we're putting in. Wow. Everybody focuses on nicotine, but the inhaled sugar is infinitely more powerful than ingested sugar. Wow. What goes, it goes right into our bloodstream. So, um, you know, we look at industry as just feeding us stuff that we addict to. 
Mm -hmm. And so if we were to be conscious and make positive changes, you're absolutely right, George, we would be choosing that which is more healthy for us. So we've been on a journey today, okay, where we're going to, hopefully everyone listening is yeah. going to pay a little bit more attention to their environment. What am I doing to enhance my environment? With color and sound and light and my connection to nature. And now my relationship with, with food and nutrition. Where do I start? You know, do I make it more simple? Do I make it more wholesome? Do I make it more in alignment with what my ancestors would have been eating? With what the people of the land where I live geographically would have been eating? We look around the world. The people of the far, far north here in, in Canada, the Inuit, you know, they lived on, on seal meat. It gave them everything they needed and they were really healthy. Now, you and I couldn't live on seal meat. I've never yeah. eaten seal meat, actually. I have no idea what it tastes like. But, you know, they'd only, only eat the meat. they eat every, absolutely just about every part of it, right? And then if you were to peel over across the other side of the world, for me, <laughs> and land in Japan, would be eating rice and fish and, you know. And so around the world, there's all these different diets. And, and then how do we honor that and understand that this is all part of the whole? And how do we bring that into our individual lives and that's the question for the listeners today what can you do today and this week of this month to make your environment more healthy to make it more in alignment with nature which will then help you feel more whole and more well it's great advice to every to everybody listening in today i i hope you take a moment begin with your breath you know, learn to breathe, take a few courses. And I think the rest of the things will begin to open up to you when you take that first step. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this conversation in this series as much as I do and as much as Dr. Jessica does. And I hope that you're getting to learn as much as, as I am for sure. And I really appreciate your time, Dr. Jessica, for being here. But before I let you go, I know you got a new website. That looks amazing. I know you got some things coming up, but maybe you can share with the people what you got coming up, where people can find you, and what you're excited about. Okay. Well, um, people can find me on my website, which is www. And then you have the revdrjessicarochester.com. And on the website, there's lots of audios and, and videos that are free for educational purposes. People who are interested in my books, you can find them. Um, access uh, through Amazon or, oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, for those or, or through the publisher, as you wish. And um, uh, I have some hymns up there. And, and the only thing I've never done is put some, I do Jendai haiku poetry, but I've never put that up yet. That's a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Okay, well, thank you, Clint Kyles. Thank you for listening in and, uh, and look forward uh, to hearing your feedback on the book. So... Fantastic. There's always the non-stop everything coming up, and um, uh, it's, uh, you know, what am I excited about? Um, I think I can say that I'm excited about life, and uh, there's so many good things that I just can only count my blessings, and um, increase gratitude for everything that's good in my life, 
and 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 you know share that with who I can, when I can, and where I can. And um, but you know I encourage everybody, you George and everyone listening, please you know practice gratitude for everything that we do have. Uh, bring peace and wellness into yourself and into your own home, and then be a role model for those around you. And I think that beyond lectures and podcasts and, you know, other projects that I'm working on, I think that, you know, that's what excites me the most is helping people wake up. Helping people wake up. I think you're doing a tremendous job at it. And I'm, I've seen my, I know that just having a relationship with you and having you get to be here has brought a lot of light into my life. And I know it has from other listeners who have said things back. So I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. So ladies and gentlemen, go down to the show notes, check out the books, do yourself a favor and um, reach out to Dr. Jessica. She's an incredible individual and she has a wealth of knowledge that has definitely made my life better. And I know tons of my listeners better. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a wonderful day. That's all we got for today. And I hope you have a beautiful afternoon. Aloha. Hello, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.